0: Welcome back to another episode of Cowboys Chat with Shap. I'm Zach Schaphorst. With me is Vinny Tadero. And for all the Cowboys fans that wanted and dreamed of a Jimmy Johnson reunion yeah. to the Dallas Cowboys, not exactly that what we got today, but the closest thing we probably will get is Jimmy Johnson being part of the advisory board to Jerry Jones. And, and I'll read exactly the, the quotes and, and what was talked about. Um, but that, that is news. We also have some hirings, J- Greg Ellis being one, several other defensive cor- uh, coaches. We'll talk about those, and then we'll also get into a little bit of the draft. We're still pre-combine, but just some of the players that and positions that stand out before we get to the combine. So let's start out with Jimmy Johnson news because I think it's it's noteworthy. It 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 was the kind it's the kind of thing where when I saw it at first, I I checked the source because I assumed it was bullshit. And then reading more, I was like, okay, wow, that's, that's interesting. But, so the, the, the exact verbiage is, and this was, I think it's noteworthy that Jimmy Johnson was the one that broke the news. It was not Jerry Jones. Jimmy Johnson said on some, I think a radio show or something... Yeah, a Miami radio show. He said, since the Ring of Honor, I am on Jerry Jones's advisory board now. Everything is hunky-dory. I'm back in the fold with the Cowboys. Which suggests that he was in this role even before now. Like, he's been in this role since joining the Ring of Honor. Uh-huh. Which, considering how the season ended, not, not necessarily uh, the most auspicious start, but um, he mentioned specifically that he and Jerry Jones talked for about an hour after the Green Bay loss, and they were talking about what all needed to be done. Um, and, and, he, and he said, because he had big decisions on Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn and Dak Prescott, so what are your thoughts when you when you hear that?
1: Well, I mean, you know, it's something that um Cowboys fans have hoped for since the day and I remember the day that uh Jimmy got fired. He said he resigned. He was actually fired. Um but um you know, I you know, I, I didn't uh, I didn't think I'd see the day. Um mm-hmm it doesn't necessarily change the power structure uh it just means i guess that he'll be getting some input from jimmy um which you know he wasn't getting at least not much of jimmy would once in a while say something derogatory in public uh, about the cowboys um but now you know it remains to be seen you know how much jimmy is involved and how much Sway he has, right. um, and if he's still got his touch, you know he's he, he's up there now. I think he's in his eighties as well as Jerry, and um, we'll see if he still has his touch. But it, it's uh, it, it's it's good news. I mean, yeah. if I had to, you know, go one way or another, I, I'd say that's that's good news. And um, yeah, it, it's definitely a sign that Jerry is a very, 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 very desperate. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so you know, we, we'd all like to see Jimmy back on the sidelines, but, I mean, uh, Jimmy, I think, is too old for it. Um, yeah. So this is probably the better the better role from him. We all enjoyed his halftime pep speech, but yeah. uh, if he had given that in a locker room, it wouldn't have mattered uh, for various reasons. Um, but, um, you know, we'll see if he still got a... Um, I, 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 my main thing with Jimmy... With Jimmy, yeah, I mean, you know, um, you know, he, he knows obviously how to create a culture of winning. There's no doubt about that. Right. Um, I I would hope that he would have uh, a good amount of say in ter- the in terms of um, scouting. You know, if he's yeah. still got his touch when it comes to scouting, because um, you know, make make no mistake, this team didn't lose uh, just because of coaching. This team lost because it it had a number of holes. Uh, uh, personnel wise and it's got a lot of a lot of free agents Um, it's got it can't just stay the same can't go backwards it can't stay the same it's got to get better and they have to do whatever they need to do with the salary cap to make that possible I know they're in a bad salary cap position I know that they're in a bad draft position because they're picking low in each round but you know, I know I've got my plan worked out and I don't got to stick by it. Yeah.
0: So well, one thought I just that just popped in my mind. And I think part of it is because there's this new uh, documentary called Dynasty about the New England Patriots. Jimmy Johnson is very tight with Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, yes. every, everyone knows McCarthy is on the hot seat, probably not oh, going to yeah. come back if he doesn't at least take us to a championship game, if not a Super Bowl. I wonder if this could be laying the groundwork for a Bill Belichick. Um, that's an excellent
1: point. I did not think of that. Um,
0: <laughs> I didn't yeah, think of that till just right. now. but
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, Bill doesn't look like he's going to have a job this year. Right. Um, I think he still wants to coach. Um, we'll see if he, you know, I'm not convinced he still has his coaching touch. I, obviously, he did not have any touch at all for personnel. And that was their biggest problem. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think he still got a, uh, a, uh, a touch for coaching, especially defense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that would be interesting if if. Uh, uh, if, if if Jimmy could broach the divide between Bill Belichick and Jerry Jones, that would be almost a miracle. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> You know, but he did hire Bill Parcells and make him GM. I mean, right. people like to say Jimmy was still the, he was, Jimmy was the GM, Jerry, Jerry was the GM in Incredible. name only. Right. Bill Parcells was the de the facto GM. The, the proof of that is Parcells, half the team with former Parcells players.
0: Right, right.
1: I mean, it's incredible. Um, so, um, but that's 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 interesting. Yeah, you're right. I I knew that um, Jimmy was was very tight, and that Belichick had been influenced by uh, by Jimmy, and I guess maybe it was the closest thing to him, albeit without any clue as to how to
0: draft. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, with hiring Mike Zimmer, I mean that the well, who knows? I I mean. Belichick. Everyone knows the the recent weakness. I mean, since Tom Brady, they've been a disaster offensively and specifically with wide receivers. I think the. I mean, he would shore up the defense. I think he would shore up the the historically bad uh, discipline issues we've had. And the only question is the offense, and specifically picking players. Because in New England, he was the GM and the head coach. Yes. So, and he has stated that he would consider a position where he was not the in charge of personnel. That's good, because he's not going to get
1: one. Right, right, (laughs) yeah.
0: So, I think... If he came in, the the big question would be who would be the offensive coordinator, in my mind. And if it's, right. like, Josh McDaniel, I, I'm not sure I love that, because I think Josh McDaniel is really just a product Tom Brady. And, and yeah. sort of the same way um, the guy... I'm Tom Brady in. Yeah, yeah. Might as well, I mean, at 47, he's probably still... Uh, Still, top ten quarterback. Well, I, I mean, as a coach. Oh, <laughs> I think he's. Uh, I think you'd have to pay him a whole lot to maybe, maybe give him partial ownership, and, and he would do it. But because he's going to be an announcer, isn't he? Yes, yes. And I think he actually That's is. to have. I think he's still going to get ownership of the Raiders, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, but anyways, um, just a the thought there. I, um, but. The one thing I'll say, I, I don't want to be the guy dumping cold water on the excitement of, of Jimmy Johnson being somewhat close to the Dallas Cowboys, but we've seen in the past where great, historically great head coaches came back in some kind of front office role. And I'm thinking of Bill Parcells with Miami Dolphins and Bill uh, Walsh with the 49ers in like the, I think the late nineties and they were not nearly, I mean, who who knows how influential they were and and what exactly they did, but the the bottom line, like the results were not great in both cases. So, and I will say the fact that the The fact that Jimmy Johnson announced this role versus Jerry Jones, I think is somewhat significant because I feel like Jerry Jones announcing this is kind of like a, um, you know, look at, you know, trying to bring back, knowing that the loss to the Packers shattered a lot of trust with Cowboys fans. Like this is just me trying to, him being the slick oil salesman that he is trying to, win people over but i don't know and the that, fact and that could be what it, it is it could still be that yeah that i can't say that's definitely not the case but i feel like if jimmy's the one announcing it it, it maybe is is less like a little bit less likely um that that's only that's the only case at least i don't know
1: if jim i don't know if jimmy would go for that
0: yeah right that's yeah, that's a good point. If Jimmy, if it was truly where like Jimmy was not involved at all and if this was just a, a Jerry scheme, yeah, I don't, I think you're right. Jimmy Johnson would not co sign that. So, so there's got to be, and maybe, you know, it's Jerry Jones and him talk and then Jerry ignores everything he says. Like that's possible, but um, there's got to be truth to the Jimmy, fact that there Jimmy, is some. Yeah that there's some communication at least, which is, which is something. Um, so we, we had a few hires this week on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, just Mike Zimmer essentially putting his stamp on the coaching staff, essentially. Former Dallas Cowboy player, Greg Ellis, aka the guy we took over Randy Moss, Um Yeah, I
1: have my opinion about that one. Go
0: ahead. (laughs) Um, That's all I had to say about that. But he was a a solid player. He wasn't a bad player, but he certainly wasn't Randy Moss.
1: I I just have to wonder if Randy Moss would have been a good boy in the Dallas environment.
0: That's a good point. That was the year that Michael Irvin stabbed uh, homeboy. Everett McAvoy. Everett, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that would have looked, but um, but yeah. So so the defensive coach, their defensive coaching staff is coming together. Um, one kind of interesting comment from former head coach Dave Campo. And and this is the kind of thing that I feel like somehow Jerry is orchestrating behind the scenes, is because Dave Campo, like what, what is he even doing these days to where he's popping up? But anyways, what so, did he ever do? Right, yeah, that's valid point. Um, Five and
1: eleven, three years in a row.
0: Yep, those were my first my first three years following football. was the Dave oh, Campo Jesus. era. Yep, yep. Um. So, it's funny because... I'm
1: not going to tell you what my first Cowboy season was.
0: Yeah. Was it 89 or... I'm not going to tell. Is it, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, it's funny, though. Mike Zimmer coming back and now comments from Dave Campo. It's, I'm, I'm getting flashbacks from my, my beginning years. That, that, was the, that was the crew back then. Uh, but anyways, so he said... Um, He said, I know Dan Quinn very well. I was not in the office, Um, so I saw a bunch of the games. I saw that game, the Packers game, and then he says, I'm going a little bit on hearsay, but I think the one thing about Dan is is he's a fine gentleman, he's smart, and his scheme was okay, but he was a little bit too buddy-buddy with some of the players, and that's part of it. You can't have a lot of accountability, if you don't stand a little bit uh, above it of the players that you're trying to get to be accountable. Um, and then he also mentioned the defense being too small, like you know, undersized linebackers, which I don't think that's, uh, you know, I don't think he's off base there on, on really any of that. That's we've talked about that um, on the show. I think that you know Mike Zimmer is on paper a better guy in terms of holding players accountable and, and being a little bit more of a of a hard ass. Mm-hmm. So That's what you need. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you've got you need that somewhere. That that's what we we talked about the Actually like, now. Yeah. Right. The, this era this of social media.
1: Yeah
0: yeah it's it's easier for players to speak out you know get 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 their message out there if they want it and to make it about themselves and it's it's really hard to get everyone bought in to like just focus on the team and block out the noise um I think it's still possible but it's much harder I think and I don't know if Mike Zimmer's going to be able to do all that, but I, I feel pretty confident that at least on the field, he'll be able to hold players accountable and just, um, yeah, just, just be a little more stick and less carrot than what we've had in the past. And I think what we, I think we need that. Um, Another thing, I don't don't think this is warrants too much commentary, but um, I think Micah Parsons, he does this podcast and he had CeeDee Lamb on. And I think both of them were talking about like themselves needing to be more accountable. And really, yeah, yeah. Um, which is great. like that's what you want to hear, but it's also a kind of thing where until you see until you see it, it's just talk and and
1: well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're both in line for extensions,
0: right. Right, that's another uh, I, part.
1: I, I look, I love CD Lamb as a player. I, I, you know, I I don't see a lot of flaws in that guy's game. And um, that that being said, I probably would trade him away for various reasons. But the um, I, I, CD Lamb's turned into just one one hell of a player, maybe the best wide receiver in the in the NFL. And uh, yeah. Mike Parsons, wonderful player too. Um, I think he could be a little bit more consistent he's not Lawrence Taylor he doesn't hit as hard as Lawrence he doesn't rush the passer quite as well as Lawrence he doesn't play coverage or run as well as Lawrence there'll never be another Lawrence Taylor um, who I had the chance to meet recently because he did an autograph signing here but I, I passed on it um, but um, I, 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 maybe Micah Parsons could get a little bit better too you know
0: I, I think Mike Parsons is the closest thing to Lawrence Taylor since Lawrence Taylor and could be like his yeah. his three-year track record and 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 he could get worse he could you know there's a lot of could-haves but just based on his first 3 years he's been an all-pro every year. I think this is the first year he wasn't a first-team all-pro which I you can argue whether that's deserved or not, but even still, second team all pro this year, third in the defensive player of the year ranking last two his first two years he was second. Like Lawrence Taylor is the only guy in as far as I can tell, and I've looked at pretty much every you know who a who's who of all-time great defensive players, not even just defensive linemen. Lawrence Taylor is the only guy whose track record surpasses that, and, he, and it clearly does. He was defensive player his first two years in the right. league, and I think he was first-team yeah. All-Pro his first, like, 10 years in the league. It's yeah. insane. But other than him, like, Mike Parsons, better than Reggie White so far, better than Miles Garrett so far, T.J. Watt, like, Bruce Smith, Merlin Olsen. like his, in the passer. I, well, just just in terms of like accolades, like the the All Pros and being so close to Defensive Player of the Year every year, um, and, and I think that's on the back of pass rushing. I I, I think that's the one yeah. that's his superpower. Yeah. He's not a great right. run defender. He's not no, a great cover guy, but he is a phenomenal pass rusher. And I think that that people tend to. And, and to, you know he didn't have a, a super productive game against the Packers. I think they did scheme against uh, against him to to neutralize his effect. Um, but but still, like I I get it if you're looking at just that one game. But I think the sack totals and this is where. I think I'm in the minority, but I don't really care about the sack totals as long as he's getting consistent pressure. That's that's all that matters, and that's been his mo Wait, since he came in the league.
1: You saw what Chris Jones pressure, not sacks.
0: Pressure, exactly.
1: pressure. It beat the it beat the Forty Yeah, he should have been co MVP. I don't care what anybody yep. says. Chris Jones was the co MVP of that
0: game. Yeah. they
1: don't want to give you exactly. a defensive guy.
0: Yeah, hundred percent, and yeah, just consistent pressure. It, it's that—that that is the sustainable way to get sacks. Like that's the right. thing is, every once in a while, you got a guy like Vic Beasley who got fifteen or whatever sacks, seventeen, I think it was, in one season, just out of the blue. And then he never did it again because he just got lucky. He, he got like 50 pressures the whole season in like six or 700 pass rushing snaps, which is not good at all. And he just happened to get a bunch of cleanup sacks. Like that's not that, you know, most of the time, the guys that are getting sacks are also getting consistent well, pressures. But you take the consistent pressures as the end all be all because everything else the sack part is not always up to the defensive player. That's my, my soapbox. <laughs> uh, right, and the, the import, an important
1: thing to note, too, is that since his rookie season, Micah Parsons has been a marked man.
0: You're right. He's double-teamed more than any... I, I think Miles my, uh, Garrett just barely um, was double-teamed more this year, but other than that, no one else in the NFL... Is getting double teamed and and no one else, I think, maybe besides Miles Garrett, changes the other team's strategy to, to have to get the ball out quicker. And, and that's it's the same thing as you know, the, the people that poo-poo that or say like that doesn't matter. It's the same logic as Jason Garrett saying that Ezekiel Elliott is a better pick than Jalen Ramsey, because if Jalen Ramsey shuts down the number one receiver then teams will just not throw to their number one receiver. It's like, that's still a win. Like, teams right. having to change their whole strategy and do a less optimal strategy right. because of one player, just because it neutralizes that one player is still impacting the game significantly.
1: That's it, Belichick's whole philosophy. On de- right. Not his whole philosophy, but that's the linchpin of his phil- de- defensive philosophy is take away their main weapon.
0: Exactly. 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 If you have one player that can automatically do that, you're winning. Um, So, yeah. Um, No, I I think Micah Parsons... I I think both Micah Parsons and CeeDee Lamb as players are absolutely top of their craft and deserving of contracts, but I I do think um, they could be more... Mature, especially Mike Parsons, but I think C.E. Lamb a little bit too. That like there's there's times where he, especially in that game, where he's like kind of bickering with Dak. I feel like sometimes his body language is is not. The I like best. that
1: though. That was one. That's one thing I've been meaning to point out is that um, I remember an interview with the, one of the Giants receivers who was on their Super Bowl teams, and he was saying that they held each other accountable. They say you know everybody talks about parcels. He was, but we held each other accountable. If I had dropped that touchdown pass, I would have heard it from my teammates. And that's what's lacking in Dallas well, is that these guys don't. These guys, there's no leadership within that team. There's got to be somebody on it. Like in the Super Bowl, when the, the one, of, I think one of the Chiefs defensive players did something really boneheaded. Chris Jones, I saw. They showed him jump off the bench to walk up to the sideline to yell at the guy.
0: Yeah, you know. Yeah.
1: And I like the fact. I like the fact that I think it was Rice was getting on Mahomes, Mahomes maybe a yeah. little too much, you know, I, I think maybe it got a little too uh, combative, but, you know, I think that you need that kind of thing um, to happen on your team, you need leaders, you need the ho- players have to hold other players accountable, yeah. um, and I know Michael Irvin used to do that uh, with the defensive backs in practice, yeah. um, and even on the sideline, I've seen clips of him doing it. Um, and Charles Haley used to do, Charles Haley was really nasty to yeah. an offensive linemen. Yeah. Even Larry Allen is his rookie year. And I think the story I heard is Larry Allen said to him, Look, why why do you keep cussing me out? He goes, Because you're great, man. You can be you can really be something in this league. I'm not gonna let you ruin it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, I think that's what we need more of on this team. So maybe if Micah Parsons would keep his comments in house, yeah, you know, rather than uh, you know, uh, trying to—he's trying to attract attention to himself. He figures the bigger celebrity he becomes, the more endorsements he'll get, and maybe the bigger contract he'll get. But I, I don't like what Mike Parsons does, shooting his mouth off um, so much. I don't yeah. like what CD Lamb's mother did. I—I I, I, I think it's kind of silly to get your mom involved. I don't like what that Dak Prescott got—let his brother get involved. I mean, you be a man and speak for yourself. Everybody knows that you're—you're
0: you're putting them up to it i I don't know about that i i think I think that's part of this era that i that I'm talking about is is it's not just the players it's it is their family where it's easier than ever to like in there was a time where if some player's parent wanted to make a statement they had to call the press or or like schedule an interview like now you could be you know drunk one night and just go to your keyboard or your phone and just type some some shit like I'm
1: drunk, yeah but do you do that knowing what the retaliation from your loved one might be
0: uh i i mean i believe C Lamb's mom deleted the tweet eventually so okay i don't know i i and he did in the interview with Mike Parsons he did uh, basically you know, poo poo the comment. Like he was like, yeah, that my mom doesn't speak for me or to some, to some effect like that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think at least most of the time, I don't think it is the player directing their parent to to say so. I think it's just the parent, you know, these players have egos. I think a lot of their parents get big headed because they're, Child has made has become successful, yeah, and true. you know they want attention too. I, I think that's that is part of it. Uh, part comes if with my parents
1: to it. ever did that, I would absolutely hit the roof. Yeah,
0: yeah. but but I, whether, I do whatever
1: think. Whatever they said,
0: whatever I, I do they, think said anything I would hit the roof. Well, well, I don't think necessarily the players are like expressly telling their parents hey, say this because I'm going to get in trouble. I, I also think it's fair to question, like, are the players, like, adamantly saying, hey, don't say anything that that could be controversial? Don't say anything at all. Yeah, yeah, don't, just you're get not, off social the, media. That's not your like, job. Yeah, right, right. Get off social media. Like, I'm making enough money. Like, you don't need to be trying to, you know, drum yeah. up a – uh, Here's a, new a career BMW. as a Go drive. podcaster. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, just uh, spend my money and stay off social media. Um, but yeah, I, I think there it, it is a fair question to say, like, are these are, are the conversations happening where it's like, hey, just get off social media, or if you're going to be on social media, don't say anything that could. Uh, affect the team. I and I don't know if the players are express are saying that, uh, like that. And, and you know, Dak with his brother, Lamb with his mom, Micah with his brother. I think. Um. So I think that that is a problem. If they're, it's not as bad as them saying, "Hey, say this for me," but them, you know, not. Expressly saying "don't say anything" is still not great. Not where you want them to be. So, anyways, um, I, I want to talk about a little bit about. The, it's a weird problem. Yeah, yeah, and it's a very modern problem, <laughs> um, but it's probably only going to get worse. To be, to be honest, um, I want to talk a little bit about the the draft and some of the. The players in it. I started today. I did my first uh, mock draft of the 2024 uh, cycle, and I get in the first round. I think I ended up getting a receiver because I. This is a draft where I. I've, I've said all along. I think this is a clear. You gotta go best player available draft. And hopefully, I mean there's the the going all in mantra, I mean, we've talked about there's a lot of ways we can free up money. Not all of them, I think, are smart ways. Like Terrence Steele restructuring his contract. I don't think that's I'm ready to replace him. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I think I would restru- I think he's the one I would least want to restructure. I, I would restructure Trayvon Diggs over steel at this point. Um, but anyway, but there's there's still a lot of ways to free up a good amount of cap space. You don't have to free up every last possible yeah. dollar to have some room to, to, move, to maneuver. So I think we'll have you freed, some... You, you freed up 70, didn't you? I think so, yeah. Or, or I think we're we're over the cap right now so i think it puts it like yeah. 50 million uh 50 million to work with after all is said and done um and I don't, I don't think that's even like the absolute max I, I think the absolute max is like freeing up 85 which puts us like 68 69 million in the green um but yeah even if we're even if we're 40 or 50 million in the green i think we can cover all our bases to an extent where we don't have to reach for any one position. that That's really, I feel like we've been pretty good about that in the past, and, and I don't see why we shouldn't be able to do that again this year. Um, so that, that said, this is assuming we do have... Couldn't,
1: you, couldn't they play Odoga at right tackle?
0: um I'm sure they could I'm sure they could I mean we were talking I mean, about I, last year like <laughs> there was a point during the season where' like I think it was the Eagle the first Eagles game where he basically has green imitation yeah yeah that that game <laughs> uh, I think we were calling for a doga at that point but I'm just they can't.
1: They can't save any money by cutting Terrence Steele now, can they?
0: Don't no. No. He's got two years before we can really get out of that. Right. Um, and and who knows? Maybe he improves. He's it was his first year coming off an injury. I don't think it's impossible to say he could have bounced back. But I don't think you. And if he does, I don't mind restructuring him then. But coming off the season he just had, huh. I am not. In any way, tying myself to him longer than I have to. I've been point.
1: asking him to take a pay cut.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I I think I had a dream a few days ago where we traded Terrence Steele. Actually, um, maybe to the. Oh, good luck with course. that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that really was a dream. I don't think that's based in any kind of reality. But but I, I think offensive tackle is a common. I, I think most mock drafts that I'm seeing so far have us taking an offensive tackle and, and I want to go through that class a little bit and I'll, and then just some of the blue chip players in general. So the offensive tackle class it, it's a good class like and I think it's pretty it's both top heavy and deep it, It's one of the better positional classes. Of any in this draft class, I think quarterback is probably the strongest, but offensive tackles up there. The two guys that I think will 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 have no chance to get are, are Joe Alt from Notre Dame and Olumwa Oloom, Fashanu from Penn State. Um, I would rather have Joe Alt. He he's I think his dad was an NFL player. A, a pretty decent NFL player as well. And I mean, he's just, his grades are fantastic. He's 6'8. Like that guy, I think he's going to be a day one good starter. The guy from Penn State, Fashanu, is more of a project. I think he's probably got a higher ceiling and more athleticism, um, but he's not as finished a product. His grades are not as good. Um, but in any case, we're not going to have any chance to get either of them. The guy that I'm curious to see how NFL teams will react is is this guy out of Oregon State, Fuaga uh, Uh, Talisi Fuaga. That would be a, that would be a guy where if he fell to us, I would, in almost any scenario, sprint the card in, because, um... It seems like he's got the build. He's also, it seems like, improving each year. Um, But I'm guessing he's not going to be there either. And then after him, I think every other offensive tackle, there's a pretty decent chance any of them could be available for us at 24. There's J.C. Latham from Alabama, Amarius Mims from Georgia. Um Graham Barton from Duke and Troy Fuatanu from uh Washington. A, a common name that I've seen also is Jordan Morgan from Arizona. I'm not sure he is a left tackle. So it's and of course there's do you go for a left tackle versus a right tackle? I th- I think you want a guy, ideally, who can play left tackle. If they can, he can play both. Great, because as we know, Terrence Steele very well could right continue well, to I'm suck.
1: Thinking, yeah, and I'm thinking that the reason they're saying offensive tackle is because you have Tyron Smith, who's one injury away from retirement, right. and Terrence Steele, and, and who is you know been a mess.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And and who know you know I don't know what their plans are for Tyler Smith I thought he was the left tackle of the future yeah I mean I think if you got somebody uh, you, you you used a, a you know your first round pick you know I think it was a mid round pick and he showed that he was he played very well his rookie season why would you take a risk on another left tackle who could go bust for you when you got somebody who looks like they can do the job
0: right right I, I mean I think. Realistically, the outside of the top three tackles in this class, which the first two, there's no chance we're going to get, and the last guy, the Oregon State guy, I think there's maybe like a 5% chance he falls to us. Outside of those three guys, there's no one in this class that I think is anywhere near as good as Tyler Smith, based on... Even just looking at him as a as a draft prospect, like his knock was that he was raw. But he was even though he was raw, he still had really good PFF grades. At and he was at a kind of small school, Tulsa. But he had good grades against good teams, like Ohio State, against top, you know, best of the best type of colleges when he played them. I don't think any of the other guys besides those three hold a candle to Tyler Smith's profile, especially when you factor in that he did—he has played in the NFL now a full season at tackle and played quite well, and he got better. So, based on that, I mean, Tyler Smith to left tackle seems like the best bet to me. Now, one thing to note, if we move Tyler Smith to left tackle, you need a guard— you know, now we we've got TJ Bass, who I think is probably capable of being a decent starter now. Now that I mean he was he was decent last year, and I think if anything he'll get better. But um if we wanted to go if we didn't feel confident in him, we wanted to go with a guard in the draft, this is not a good class for guards. This is actually uh, I, I would say that's probably one of the worst positional groups in this draft. I, I don't think there's anyone you would take in the first round, and maybe even not e- maybe even in the second round. There's maybe one guy that's worth a late second round, and, and that would still probably be a little bit of a reach. So worth worth noting there, but I, I yeah I think. Tyler Smith should be the left tackle unless somehow one of these top tier tackles fall to us um, at center assuming Tyler biish does not come back which I think I think there's a think chance he, he could come back you, you think he will come back
1: yeah I think they like him but I, I I'm not crazy about him I've gotten more sour on him as time has gone by. I, I think he, his lack of ability to get movement in the run game is a, is, is, is a, is a problem.
0: Yeah, I kind of go back and forth on him. Um, I do think there's a benefit to, especially at center, there's a benefit to continuity and having the same guys you know, get used to playing together. He's not a bad player, but I just don't think he's ever going to be particularly great. I, I think he's he's always going to be like the guy where if he's your weakest link, you're doing pretty well. But if he's like your second or third best lineman, then you're in trouble. And um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like in the past few off seasons, we've gotten pretty good discounts on our own players, and even the guys that we haven't signed have not gotten big deal like Dalton Schultz last year. Um, so who knows? Maybe he's not going to command the dollar amount that I'm expecting, but I, I think he's going to get close to ten million, if not over ten million a year. And and I don't think I don't think we will or should pay him that much. So. The one center in this draft class that is kind of the consensus best center and worthy of a first-round pick is Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon. And uh, I I don't think he's of the caliber of um, Tyler Linderbaum, certainly. But I think... I liked John Michael Schmitz last year, but in retrospect, I think he was a, he's a little bit like Tyler Biotish, I feel like, where he's he graded well in college. That's why I like Tyler Biotish. That's why I like John Michael Schmitz. But both of them did not do very well as rookies. I, th- I do think John Michael Schmitz will get better, and part of it is playing for the Giants. Like There's no question that being surrounded by shitty other offensive linemen does not help with your development as a center. But I think both of them are athletically mediocre. And while they may be tough and and good at at technique, they are limited because of that. Whereas Tyler Linderbaum, his only knock was he was undersized, but he was always a freak athlete. I think that Jackson Powers Johnson is... I don't think he's quite... A, he, he doesn't grade as well as Linderbaum or even Tyler Biotish or um, John Michael Schmitz, but he's got the size and I think he's got the athleticism. And so I, I wouldn't call him a blue-chip prospect because he I don't think he has quite the tape to put him in that in that category, but... I do think he's he would be a, a good day one starter. Possibly better than Tyler Biotish right away. I, certainly more upside than Tyler Biotish ever has had. So I don't think that would be a terrible move. I, I also don't know if he'll fall to 24. I, I think he could go sooner. But that would be a guy that I... Um, that would be the only center, I think, who's worth a first-round pick and the only center that I think would be worth uh, or that I would feel confident about starting day one. I think any if we're taking a center any later, or if we're taking any other center than him, you're probably going with uh, Brock Hoffman as the starter, I, I would assume. Um, but... Yeah, those are those are a couple of the the names that I throw out for the offensive line. Um, I don't think there are any. A lot another common position people are talking about us drafting is linebacker. I don't think there are any linebackers that are worth a first round pick in this draft. Um, there are some guys that are pretty good and, and pretty good all around linebackers, and and certainly the coverage ability is is what i'm is the first and foremost thing i'm looking for um but i i think linebacker is one where you would take in the second round that that's my impression evaluating this draft class so far um there's a lot of good cornerbacks in this class a lot of a receiver is another really really strong Uh, position group in this class and and there's a couple guys sort of like the C. Lamb class there's guys where if somehow they fell like I'd take a receiver if, if it's a a can't miss value even though that's not our biggest need I would not uh turn down like Roma Dunze is um this guy from Washington who I don't think he'll make it out of the top 10, but if somehow he fell to 24, I'm running in that that card. Um, And I think it's a deep class, too, where where we could, if we don't get someone like that falling to 24, I think there's going to be some really good options in the second and third round at receiver to try and upgrade that position. So... Yeah, that's pretty much all I've got for for uh, the draft at this point. But um, forget—is next week the combine, or is it? Oh uh, yeah, so next week, starting on the 28th, is the NFL Combine. So that'll definitely provide some more coloring. That the part of the reason I like to talk about offensive linemen before the combine is because that those are players that shouldn't be influenced by what they do at the combine that much. Now, every year there are gonna be guys that you know, like Jordan Jordan Davis a few years ago, the guy that got drafted by Philly over they could have had Kyle Hamilton, who's like already one of the best safeties in the league. And they took A one tech, just because a a non-productive one tech. I may add because he tested off the chart. So there's going to be some big men that test really well and, and get drafted higher than they should. But that's a position where I really don't think it matters much at all. Receiver, cornerback, running back. Even linebacker, I think those, it does matter. Defensive end, um, it does matter how you test to some extent. But I think offensive linemen, I doubt that I will have dramatically different uh, views on the linemen that I just talked about after the combine. But uh, we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, I think... uh, I think that'll do it for this week, but thanks all uh, for tuning in, and we will see you next time to preview the uh, NFL Combine and talk more Cowboys. So uh, until then.